Hey everybody, welcome to the Gay and Gray podcast. What has this past year been like for you? Yeah, I, maybe I'll figure that out more retroactively. I'm not sure. But I mean, it's it's been the, there's been like an intersection of so many big changes. A kind of, are they brought on by the, no, not brought on by the pandemic like just happened at the same time as the pandemic so I had like a kind of ending of a 10-year relationship about yeah about six months before the pandemic sort of and and it was a domestic you know so yeah so it's also it was like the first time I was living alone after 10 years and I guess partly related to that I started a master's and the job where I've been forever uh, I'm only part-time at now um, co-director of Studio 303. So that's huge change because I haven't been to school in, well, like over 30 years. And I was a terrible student or not very serious student, you know? Mm -hmm. So those things, right? Academia, living alone, pandemic, um, less responsibility uh, and power, frankly, at, at my job is just a lot and then also I was hosting queer parties and then that stopped too so yeah so radical change in my social life but I actually discovered that I guess I already knew it a little bit but I really was like oh I'm an introvert (laughs) (laughs) and obviously I'm not only an introvert because I host parties and yeah yeah but I um yeah, it's, I really do love being alone, and I found that it was actually good timing that everybody's social life stopped at the time that I started a master's, because I think I would have been very anxious. It was a lot of work, and I would have been really anxious about all the things that I was missing, and the things that I should go to, and, the, and you know. Like, all yeah. that fear of missing out. Yeah. FOMO. Yeah, it was kind of nice to not have that. And I'm not that disciplined as well, so it was good to not have too many distractions because I found it pretty hardcore <laughs> 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 doing a master's, all those papers. and Yeah, Yeah. what are you focusing on in your master's? It's um, a program called Human Systems Intervention at Concordia that's um, a bit of a derivative of organizational development. I didn't even really know what it was when I went into it. I, it was very intuitive. I liked the format. It's a small, it's kind of workshoppy, intense bursts of uh, class and very experiential and a small cohort. And basically I am very, um, I guess my life is very stable. Like there's not a lot of change. You know, I was, uh, I've been living in my apartment that I bought with some people that I used to live with before then. I've been living there for, yeah, 15 years. I've been at my place of work for almost 30 or about 30 years. So the master's mm. was was really about, I'm so, I'm so comfortable in um, the like experimental dance and performing arts community. It's, it's been a home for so long. And then facets of the queer community as well, a home for so long. And I just felt like I didn't actually know anybody that wasn't connected to one of those two things. Yeah. And and I really wanted, and I think maybe with all the just political upheavals, just that that 
sense of we really need to know <laughs> other people <laughs> outside of our bubbles to be able to engage in the world properly and be really a part of it so it was really that was part of it too because I knew it was a program that attracted people from all kinds of um, walks of life but it, now that I'm in it I'm like oh but it's also we may be from you know nursing IT design agriculture but we're all seekers <laughs> <laughs> been really preoccupied with deinstitutionalizing the institution but at the same time I recognize their their value and when I go like when I went to a few years ago I was in Toronto where actually I grew up um, but they had been you know it was I was there during I don't know maybe it was during pride but just seeing buddies in bad times where I've been a lot this you know big gay theater space and art venue um and then there was the new uh community the lgbt blah blah blah, blah community center mm -hmm. that's like three blocks away which is a big building like brand new built for that i think or renovated at least ex fully accessible and and then uh, another few blocks away is the gay and lesbian it's called something different now i can't remember what the name is but it was the canadian gay and lesbian archives Oh, a yeah, three-story yeah. Victorian building full of, you know. And I just thought, wow, those are three really substantial buildings that are really meaningful, you know. Um, and to have three of them, and I just thought, we don't, we don't even have one of those in Montreal, you know. Well, there's, there's um, the we community center. Yeah, but it's, but it's like part of a church, and it's like two, yeah. it's like two rooms. Yeah, basically, it's not like an entire no huge building. It's not the same at all. Like it's symbolic, you know. And Gangre exists, yeah. but it has no physical space. Yeah, yeah. And there is a, there's an archive as well that's really important, but it's not doesn't have this substance that that these other you know and the kind of perennity uh, like these buildings are owned and they're not going to be kicked out because of whatever reason or yeah and it just gives a kind of a real anchoring which feels weird to me because yeah. like growing up I always imagined Montreal as being the place in Canada to go if you're yeah. gay yeah and I still think that too. I also still think that yeah yeah yeah, and I and obviously we functioned quite well without <laughs> without those institutions, you know. And I think there's also something about institutions too. That I think you you kind of I feel that I value them more the older I get. I guess you're usually much more socially active and meeting new people all the time when you're young, and mm -hmm. that that um, keeps you connected. And even though you know so yeah my, my social life definitely yeah, I'm not meeting constantly new people the way I used to and I can imagine oh also I guess I'm thinking about media as well and that maybe buildings are more important now that media is so scattered across so many platforms that are kind of ephemeral mm -hmm. in a way and not necessarily accessible or even some people don't even know about them, right? So yeah, not necessarily searchable, <laughs> discoverable. Not, yeah, or discoverable, that's <laughs> yeah. the word, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And I, I think I just, I don't know, I had a, a good reflection about that when 
a few years ago when, when I was struck by that. Radio, television, there were fewer things that you could watch and engage mm-hmm. with in terms of entertainment, but those few things everyone engaged with. Mm. That's, that's something that is shifting very radically because there, it's not just, you know, mm-hmm. three channels to choose from. It's, you know, the entirety of the internet, which is, it might as well be infinite, mm-hmm. you know? And even though everything else, all those platforms, like for the communication, all the platforms are changing, but the one thing that remains is that kind of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And that will never go away, but it's, it's, it's harder to tap into because word of mouth is, is actually happening across different platforms too now. It's not just word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the shared thing, watching. Yeah, I have really good memories of, you know, when you had to wait for an episode of something. And I guess we did that a bit with mm-hmm. that um, dragony show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the throny dragony show. <laughs> there was a little bit of anticipation and people watching together, uh, which yeah. I partook in a little bit at one point. Yeah. Yeah. We had a little, I guess, did we do this before? Yeah, before the pandemic with my neighbors upstairs, we started a Les Watch TV. <laughs> Yes. What did you watch? Uh, (laughs) I think maybe we started it when, because of the L word coming back. This was a year or two ago. (laughs) I knew that I wasn't ready for it and I I didn't want (laughs) to. But it's perfect because it's it's dreadful and you want to watch dreadful things together as well as good things together because Mm -hmm. you can, you just talk. And it was fun to watch the attempts to um, update as well and... You know, and some of them are successful-ish, but it's still, they're still all like these, you know, beautiful um, executive types. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of, a lot of them are <clears throat> not lesbian, like none of them are really lesbians that I've met in the world, except maybe Alice, you know? Yeah. And, and I remember when The L Word first came out, I remember seeing like ads, but I, I didn't dare watch it. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I finished my university degree and I had some time where I was looking for work mm-hmm. and spending a lot of time at home. And I also wanted to give myself a break and binge watching The L Word was what I did. Yeah. And, it, and that was before I really, um, I mean, I, I don't know if I ever really had like a coming out so mm-hmm. much as it just became more common for me to share spaces in Mm -hmm. like queer spaces and get comfortable with myself in queer spaces and engaging in in queer spaces even though I'd had like you know many lesbian bi kind of like experiences that were personal I hadn't been like public about that Mm -hmm. and I hadn't shared that with like my family or friends or anything like that I didn't I didn't have gay friends Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and uh, so that was the L word was something that I watched before I really fully engaged with that community personally, um, and that was a terrible introduction. <laughs> it is, but it was still important, right? It was so because important because it was the first one, and it was still just when you watch it and you go, "Oh, I wow, yeah, what a what a concept! A show just with lesbian characters, you yeah. Know? And it's just when you realize that it's the first time it's ever happened, it's it does something, yeah, visceral. I think Shane yeah. and Alice were my like the yeah. the characters that I really identified yeah. with and felt like, yes, that is what I want more in my life. Yeah, 
and then and then I found people like that in the real world and yeah. had like wonderful experiences. <laughs> I don't think you would like the the the, the Shane and the new um, revamped version. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Dare I even ask? It's just just the 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 wealth. <laughs> The, the, oh. the oozing of wealth <laughs> it's like yeah why did you have to make Shane like a private jet and <laughs> you know? well because well because now because now that being gay is like a thing that ev- everyone's like you know trying to outdo each other yeah. with like how accepting they are mm-hmm. <laughs> and then businesses are trying to get our money mm-hmm. um because we're beginning to maybe ha- kind of have some mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's just the commercialization of of the queer community is something that especially is is very topical now during Pride Month um, in, you know, most of most places. I think uh, here we we do things in August, but it's still Pride Month. Like you can't tell me otherwise. (laughs) And uh, yeah, there's a lot of talk about commercialization at Pride. Yeah. When this new L word came out, too, there was another show that came out at the same time on another paid channel thing crave or something and i of course can't remember the title right now but we would watch it right after and it was 20 minute episodes and it was such a stark contrast Mm. because it's like it really looked like people we recognized and set in new york and it's a a woman uh butch lesbian in her 50s but who has an affair with a young trans guy Ooh. So it, I loved that show because it uh, it's really clever writing and it's um, it also deals with depression and a lot of humor and and just queer politics and intergenerational uh, friction and oh stuff goodness, like that. I need to figure out what this is and watch yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was really it's really quite good. Did you catch the sunset yesterday? Yes. Oh, yeah, I actually I have in my. Um, I live on a trip in a triplex on the second floor and I have a really nice back deck mm. that's really big and lovely and until the pandemic that's where I spent all my outdoor time and then partly because there's a Microsoft building that makes an annoying ventilation sound but mostly because I was a bit lonely I set up on my little front balcony that's just a platform for the door and you know the top yeah. of the stairs I set up a little table and two chairs and I often would have like a glass of wine or something or just sit there and that's where the sun sets. So I've seen a lot of sunsets this year and uh, yeah, and it's funny. And now uh, with my neighbors too, we, we all tend to hang out in the front because we'll see people. Like people will walk by and then we'll say hi or we'll bump into each other as well because our doors are beside each other. And mm-hmm. so that's the, a way of having impromptu yeah social action it's been really nice I still do that yeah tell me about these queer parties that you were uh that you were hosting yeah I, I guess I can't remember when I started now um maybe two or three years ago I've had lots of other queer parties and they did something called meow mix for 15 years almost monthly and it was like a cabaret and a, followed by a dance party yeah and it was the dance party that really uh well, no, people, whatever. Some people liked everything. Some people only liked the dance party. So. But anyway, it was it was really a, a gathering place for a pretty big community. And when that disappeared, uh, since then, people are like, <laughs> I miss dancing. And But I just didn't have the energy to put on 
I just didn't want to produce anymore. And also I get stuck if I don't have a name. Mm. It's yeah. like I need a name to get going. <laughs> I, I totally get that. <laughs> and I was I was like mulling on names and I was like spinsters, you know, I had all these kind <laughs> and then I get annoyed when my names are always in English and I want them to be bilingual, but mm-hmm. they're always in English because I'm Anglophone and that's what comes up. And anyway, and then my friend, my neighbor from upstairs, um, she's really good with names and she was like hot flash. I was like, hello. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I guess now I have to have a party. You have to. (laughs) With a name like that? Yeah. And it just, and I can't remember if, you know, now I can't remember if the, whatever, did the name decide, help me decide things about it? Or did I already know that I wanted it to be early and short? Mm -hmm. You know, but I did. I wanted it to be close by, early, short and hardly any work. <laughs> so um, I found uh, the Ritz, which was just, it's just two blocks from my house. Um, so I wanted a place that, uh, and I think they wanted rent and I was like, no, you know, you're gonna make a lot of money on the bar. And and then I, I didn't, did I, I, don't know, I, you know what, I started it at NDQ, but it was too loud and big for NDQ and felt dangerous with the little bowling floor which is yeah. too bad because I loved working with them they were they were really generous and and it was queer and I really was happy so but oh well um anyway so so yeah I just did it sporadically it would be like often uh, be, well I think the first one or one of the first ones was from the person who came up with the name uh her 50th birthday you know so it would often be for someone's 50th birthday or a fundraiser for somebody's surgery or you know just and it was you know that wasn't always um, explicit either and anyway so I didn't to make it really low I actually have a funny story about the DJing too I used to DJ sometimes at Meow Mixes but I'm not a DJ I'm just somebody who likes music I'm really not a DJ I'm too lazy for mixing and learning about things so I, I did hire DJs a few times and then at one point, uh, a friend of mine was DJing, and um, it just wasn't the, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned with the group energy and about, like, the dramaturgy of the, like, okay, well, uh, by this time, people have to be hopping. And <laughs> anyway, and it, it hadn't, the, the fire hadn't caught, and so I was kind of going, oh, would you have this, or do you have that, or maybe you could play this, and, and then she was just like, uh, you know, and she was like, oh, no, I have that at home, oh, uh, and then she said, well, do you have it on your phone? And I was like, oh, maybe. Uh, but then how do we switch? And, and then she, was, she just got really annoyed with me <laughs> and was like, you know what? Obviously, you want to play the music, so why don't you? And she just like yanked the cord out, shoved it in my phone, and basically left. And uh, I was like, ah! <laughs> and then my phone was on random. And I didn't know how, like something, when I get flustered too, I cannot figure out what the hell's going on with technology. So it was on a playlist and it was playing random and I couldn't get it off. Ugh. And uh, and actually, and then the party exploded. It was like, and it, you know, and I was so scared it was gonna play a yoga class or something, <laughs> but it, I guess it was on a dance mix and, and it was going really, and I had no idea what was coming next. And sometimes it was stuff that I wouldn't have played. It was too risky, like kind yeah. of punk song. Or, 8 p.m. or you know (laughs) but it worked you know and then it it really uh, that experience gave me confidence that it's not that like my music's better it's that 
that um, the people that come to my parties often share the same musical taste as me. So or there's an overlap there, you know. So, um, so it gave me confidence. So since then, I've been DJing them. Or the last one before the pandemic, we had a playlist potluck. So I invited uh, four people to just bring their playlist on their phone, and then, but it was a very specific theme, you know. So mm-hmm. they would each they had their theme, and it was announced. And it, uh, it was really oh, that sounds like so much fun! Yeah, it was super fun. <laughs> it was super fun. Um, yeah, and then the one the party before that, it was right. It was like a January. So th- a kind of New Year party, not a New Year's Eve party, but a New Year party that I called the Roaring, like bring in, bringing in the Roaring Twenties. And for that party, I gave myself the challenge of playing in chronological order music from the past hundred years. So mm. from every decade. Um, so trying to find like dance hits from the, from the, did I go? Yeah, I went from the twenties, 1920s. And it was super fun and and I played it, yeah, chronologically, I did two cycles of 1920 to 2020. And that one I did, that party I did in um, Brasserie Beaubien, which is one of these old school dives, you know, that has like dudes on slot machines in the back. And, you know, kind of sad sacks, <laughs> you know. And uh, I was really moved because some of like at least one of those guys was deliriously happy on the dance floor among all these you know lesbians (laughs) mostly (laughs) and i and but and he wasn't at all being he was just happy in his own world and and uh it really moved me and it kind of made me yeah i mean maybe after the pandemic it, it made me want to make parties for at like shelters or yeah yeah th- those like have a fun party that for that people who don't get to have fun parties much yeah. you know and because yeah. i love i like trying to figure out what music will lift people as long as it's a little bit out of the ordinary and requires a bit of research or yeah um, <laughs> experimenting you know yeah how long have you lived in montreal um since i was 17 so 52 minus 17 is 35, is it? Wow. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, what made you move here? Um, just, uh, I finished high school and um, in my gr- friend group, or my best friend Jen, um, and in my family, and my, you know, it was just expected to go to university. There was no, and it didn't occur to me to not go to university, so it was like looking for a university. And I think my criteria were it was really like, it has to be somewhere cool. <laughs> Hopefully not in Toronto, that way I need to move out. Um, but you know, not too far because that's scary and I'm 17. Uh, I don't know, I you know, had some funny little criteria and I guess, um, and also I already spoke French because my father is French. And But it really was uh, just, I think we did a school trip to visit Montreal. And inst- I just fell in love with the city instantly, even though the parts I was exposed to are not the parts, I think, I don't know if it was that. Anyway, I think the first time we came, Jan and I, we stayed at a convent that was $7 a night. Whoa. <laughs> in NDG, like at Villa Maria Metro, which is 
a place I've just pretty much never been to since then. And then we went, you know, we walked around old Montreal and we got a calèche ride with a oh, couple of, like, a, you know, a horse yeah, yeah. buggy thing, which <laughs> is also like something I would like have never done or wanted to since then. And then probably ate like really bad spaghetti or something in the old port, you know. But even though that's not at all quintessential Montreal, I just felt something here and immediately felt at home. Whereas Toronto, I, I wasn't particularly attached to at all, you know, and it was like a, a very instant. I didn't need to. And it's the same, I think, with with Jen and with other people I know. It's funny, this city. Yeah, and I completely <laughs> agree with you. The, the moment I got here, mm-hmm. at any time that I've been here, mm-hmm. I immediately feel like at home. Yeah. Even though there's also this perpetual outsider thing because the culture, Quebecois, Francophone culture being so, so strong and, you know, so you, you can never really belong, but there's something about Montreal, I guess it's just so full of outsiders, so you do, you belong to your little, whatever, or your big, <laughs> yeah. your, your big ginormous minority, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. yeah, and I really miss hearing French, I really miss it when I go to other places in Canada. Yeah, it makes me. I'm like, oh, that's so sad. It's so sad that everybody just speaks English here, even though, in fact, you know, Toronto is way more multicultural than Montreal, and there are lots of languages going on, and you know, it has it really wins on a lot of fronts, and um, but for some reason, there's so many discoveries. Yeah. All the ruelles, yeah. like it's. Yeah, it's I love the alleys. You're right. There's, yeah, and they don't have those in Toronto the same way at all. Mm. except you know there's something about Montreal like I'm, I, I do I do get sad that maybe we're losing some of that because uh, fences are getting higher higher and more opaque you know yep. and when I walk in alleys I'm like oh it gives you a different feeling when you walk when you have wooden walls beside you rather than things you can kind of peek into <laughs> or peek over <laughs> or see the lives and feel like you're part of something and but then I think there's also a reaction to that. So in my neighborhood, and including my house, very tall, opaque uh, wooden fences. But then there's a few people who are really like deliberately choosing to not have a fence at all. Mm. You know, and I and and it just it gives me delight to walk by their house and mm-hmm. go like, thank you, <laughs> thanks for doing that. Do you think you'll ever live anywhere else? Yeah, I don't, I doubt it because I haven't yet. And I think I'm so attached to, it's not so much, I mean, it's the city, but it's the people and uh, and my household. Like I, I live in a triplex that I bought with friends. So I've got people I love upstairs, people I love downstairs. And especially now when I'm alone, uh, that becomes even more precious, you know. Um, but... Everybody I know has a kind of, is, feels pulled outside or, or, you know, we want nature more. And I know, like, you know, one of my neighbors, he has, he has his parents uh, have land on Salt Spring Island and it's like beautiful land and he goes there a lot. And I, my, I have kind of family 
land, I suppose, in, well, this is not, though, I don't have a calling to it, but in rural Alabama, and then my other neighbor, it's Crete, and then my ex, it was the south of France, and then, you know, so yeah. it's like, and, and we're, we all um, stand to inherit things, you know, or, or land or something, and, and then you can dream of the kind of, well, what if we all moved but then, you know, we don't all want to move to Alabama. We don't all want to move to Salt Spring. We mm. don't We don't even all want to move to Crete. Although, maybe we could be convinced. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And even moving, even going just to the, even going to like a couple hours away. I guess it's so tempting, you know, and people, and I have a few friends who have moved to the country during the pandemic. But there's that density and walkability and, yeah, just sitting on my porch if I want to see people. And that I, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet, and I don't know if I'll be ready for it ever, but I may mm. well be. Who knows, because I do. Yeah. Yeah, you're I, allowed I, to change your mind. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the thing is, and that's a funny, and there is a funny aging thing, too. You know, and it's not across the board everybody, but this Microsoft or Candorel building I was telling you about that's making a ventilation sound. It's like some people are really sensitive to it in the neighborhood and actually they're not necessarily that much older, you know, or, but there's two people who are like, it, they feel it in their body and they want to cry and it's like really upsetting and harming their mental health. And then there's, in, in my building, pretty much all of us also like just find it like it just enrages us you mm -hmm. know and can make us give us a headache and we're sensitive whereas the teenagers are just like completely indifferent you know and I know I would have been completely indifferent to it also mm -hmm. in my 20s you know I used to live on Saint Denis with trucks going by and I'd like a big metal plank and the, the, you know just didn't <laughs> bother me at all so anyway, mm. so there is this thing where I just want I just want birds and rustling leaves and these are the sounds I crave and yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't mind some city sounds occasionally and, and I like the train and the distance and anyway. With the pandemic, more and more people have been open to engaging online. Mm -hmm. And with that comes other opportunities because if you were in the country then you could connect to people so long as you had an internet connection. Yeah. Totally. And I think, um, yeah, the pandemic's been really great for that. I think, yeah, I have, I have like a regular hangout with a triad, like me and two friends, one who is in New York and the other one in Australia. And we just, you know, because we liked hanging out, the three of us, the, the one time we were in Montreal together, and it's so lovely. And I just don't, yeah, I would never have bothered. I would have just thought that just sounds like a lot, of, an awful lot of effort and unpleasant, probably. And it's it's quite miraculous. And then I think at Studio Three Hundred Three, where I work, um, you know, the backbone of our programming is uh, workshops, uh, weekly workshops for professional artists, but a very loose definition of that. And they're pretty experimental workshops. And yeah, during the pandemic, a lot of them moved online, even though we didn't have to, because we had different rules for, you know, we were able to do a lot of stuff in studio still, but 
it just felt it was too hard for the international teachers because of yeah traveling and then also some people just didn't feel safe and we're happier to do it online and it's been great especially with the talkie workshops I mean yeah and so now I kind of yeah there's some things I prefer now I'm open to doing that kind of thing following workshops online and, mm. um, yeah especially like discussion-based stuff like for I also um, at, at Studio 303 we run um, I started queer performance camp five years ago and this past year in February yeah we did everything was online and there were two events called uh, ask an elder that were discussions between yeah someone younger and an elder that they chose and those they were just yeah, they were they work they worked really beautifully online, and I think we will keep those online in the future. Yeah, yeah. There, there's I've found this year especially, I've really noticed how it's not just me who feels mm -hmm. that um, uh, desire to connect with other generations and with your history as a queer person. Mm -hmm. Because we don't often get that opportunity. Like oftentimes we'll you know, queer spaces will be dances and they're not always as intergenerational as you would like them to be. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, you know, there's only like one or two people that are, you know, more than 10 years older than you. And even when you're in those spaces, they're not necessarily spaces you want to, you're going to be like sit, sitting down and having a long conversation, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so the, the kinds of interactions that you have in those spaces are maybe not quite yeah. what I wanted to have. I mean, not, not that I didn't want them, but I wanted to also have other interactions. And, uh, and I think working with Gay and Grey has really allowed me to have that. Mm -hmm. And is also, with the podcast, has, has allowed other people to connect with their queer yeah. community, uh, with their queer elders. And, and that's been really amazing for a lot of people uh, so far. And I'm excited for how it's going to change in the future and, and yeah. the connections that we're building. What's the the format of it? Like how of did those discussions? Yeah, yeah, like when so if I were going to be attending one of these, uh -huh. what would it what would that experience look like? Like the Ask an Elder event. Yeah. Um it was it began with I mean whatever, we, we arrive and we're on Zoom and it was a smallish there were maybe like twenty people and then um, the 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 hosts who were the guest curators would uh, just welcome and say here you are and, and maybe do a land acknowledgement and then introduce the artist that they had invited and then the artist would be like and here's the elder I've invited and then it was a conversation a bit like what we're having except that the artists would have I guess um, specific questions and then we watch the conversation and then there's a kind of casual it's not like some of these things that I see um, you're really cut off from interacting. So here you're, you're not cut off. It's just you're not asked to interact, <laughs> but you can, you know. And people are doing it in the chat, or they're interrupting if they feel it's necessary. But most mostly people just were listening and commenting in the chat, and uh, which everyone could see, including the hosts. There wasn't this division that sometimes is tried. And then at the end, they uh, welcomed 
uh, interventions and questions and sometimes it would go over time a bit and it was very nice Sounds great. yeah and it, and there would always there'd always be people there who knew the people and then others who didn't know it know them and, uh, and I liked it because sometimes the elders weren't who weren't who I expected or they know it would like um, the two artists that were invited were uh, Mo Clark and uh, Mo invited uh, an indigenous elder called Blue and that was and I'm really sad we forgot to record it or maybe we anyway we didn't record it and it's really a pity because that it was such a beautiful and hilarious talk you know because Blue had these really fabulous stories of growing up in Toronto. Jen and I loved dancing when we were teenagers as well, and uh, this is my friend who lives downstairs. And we used to go to a club called the Voodoo Club in Toronto mm. in the 80s. And I think the first time we went there, I think we were 13 years old. Whoa. With parental peri- permission, like, <laughs> I think that first time maybe I had an, uh, like, an escort. It was like a 17 or 18-year-old who was visiting who wanted to go to a club, and I knew about this place, and then, you know, I was allowed <laughs> to go because she took me as though she were, you know, anyway. And it was, there was no alcohol there, so I was allowed. Mm-hmm. It was open from midnight till 7 in the morning, and... You know, you can imagine what was going on if there was no alcohol there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what time period was this? You were about 13? Yeah, 80s, so yeah. 68, I'm born. Yeah. So like, like 82, yeah. 82. I think the 13, I just went maybe once, and we went more regularly when we were 14. <laughs> 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 and we used to go every week. It was open Saturdays. And, and, so, and I remember my mother driving me there. And dropping me off and being like, you stay here until 7 a.m., you know, because so that's like her funny logic. You know, you'll be safe as long as you're in this drug den <laughs> until 7 a.m. And then, uh, you know, and then we would, yeah, with Jen, we'd take the bus home with commuters or not commuters because it's Sunday. I don't know. But anyway, it's 7 a.m. We take the bus yeah. home. And, um, yeah. And she would be like at the door, the guy at the door, like, my daughter is only 14, you know, you look out for her. And it's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, we were very, we didn't really, uh, you know, I think we would, we would smoke a rolled cigarette and that would just like, <laughs> you know, and drink <laughs> vodka before we went. So that was our, and then we would dance until seven in the morning, Yeah, from midnight till seven in the morning. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm envious. <laughs> so that was your like early teens. Mm. What were you like when when you were like in your later teens? I guess when you when you first moved to Montreal, mm-hmm. you were like, at seventeen. Yeah, I mean, then I was always living in roommate situations and just parties a lot of parties and um, bands lots of bands hanging out with bands seeing bands regularly the same band every week you know mm-hmm. and, and dancing lots of dancing we love dancing <laughs> um, and uh, loft parties 
mm. lots of block parties. And then, yeah, and then I came out kind of late, like I would say at the end of university. I studied English literature at McGill and um, just kind of, yeah, fell in love with somebody. Uh, and it was kind of the most exciting year to come out and fall in love because it was, uh, that's when we had our little, you know, our kind of stonewallish event in Montreal. Yeah. And I was at that party and uh was it sex garage? Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, so I was just like, Oh my god, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> and, uh, and then the protests and that were very, you know, sexually charged and social at that time. You know, it was just the most exciting thing ever. Um, but at the same time, so there was all that going on. Um, what was the what was the yeah. like you were at the, uh, sex garage the mm -hmm. night of the raids like yeah so what was that experience like what was what was the party like before yeah. the cops got there <laughs> um i loved those parties and they were kind of the only yeah i didn't like that many i didn't like club music very much so i suffered a bit um because that's almost all there was but sex garage was the and it was kind of coming out of a lesbian separatist era when I first came out there were three or four lesbian bars that men weren't allowed in in the city can you imagine like not one like three or four <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh it was just yeah this and then and then there are a lot of and then the men's bars you weren't really allowed in wow. so much or you know and uh, yeah and so sex garage was like queer and I guess what I was looking for, the, the self that I was hoping to have company for <laughs> was m something more alternative as well. And, you know, I wouldn't even, I don't think the word inclusive, like the, I don't think that even the kind of generosity, but then the spirit of inclusion is not really what I was after. To be honest, you know, I wasn't thinking that. I was just like, these places are so... They're, they're not me. I want me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was so, so I, 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 I would, yeah, I would hate to um, pretend that it was motivated by a kind of, we all need to be together. It was more like, ugh, I don't, I, I want to hang out with cool people <laughs> who listen to cool music. <laughs> Why doesn't that exist, you know? So anyway, so I really loved Sex Garage because it, it, um, satisfied it was more like a party that was very creative and organized by an artist and and staffed by eccentric um people of all genders and it's just a lot more fun for me so i really loved it there was and it was always taking place i don't know if it moved around I th yeah it moved around and maybe i don't know if this place was a regular place uh but it was also a loft where like my friend lived in the loft below and the bands that I was hanging out with. And there would be like performances, sort of wild performances as well at Sex Garage, like, you know, like a exotic dancer with a, you know, snake. Whoa. You know, this kind of- <laughs> With a snake? <laughs> yeah. You know, it was a very uh, sort Whoa. of- Whoa. And it also had like a, there was a, like it was very sexually charged but without being full-on BDSM, which was also big in mm -hmm. that time. 
and which also I didn't feel a part of, but there'd be like a little bit of it, you know, just a little bit, <laughs> a little bit of chaps, a little bit of asses out, a little bit of... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a little bit of leather. Just yeah. A little bit, yeah. And drugs, <laughs> lots mm-hmm. of drugs. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel a bit uh, like à côté de la plaque and even a, a little guilty or embarrassed to talk about that night because, because to be perfectly honest, for me, it was just exciting. The whole raid was just novel and exciting, and I feel shitty saying that because it was—it really sucked for a lot of people. But that's where I was at, you know, at the time, and and I had, or maybe you know, maybe also it was a coping mechanism. Maybe I'm being hard on myself because it's very—it's hard to let yourself feel that fear in the moment yeah. if if that's what you were feeling. Also, mm-hmm. there's an age, you know, I there was a, there's an age where you. Feel especially if you're privileged or only if you're privileged maybe but if you're priv- privileged and, and young you tend to feel totally invincible mm-hmm. and uh, and that was my case you know but it's odd because I'm saying all that and I remember and my memories are very hazy but um, there was a photographer at the time Linda Don Hammond who, mm-hmm. who documented a lot of stuff and there's I, I have a f- you know there's photos of me like standing watching somebody get beat up like you know so and i don't really remember it well but you may have been on drugs (laughs) maybe i don't think i was i think i was probably but i was probably drunk or something but also just i think i'm a slow reactor and a slow processor and a big denier like a big denial like this can't be and yeah maybe those are, are my my coping mechanisms but it's odd to see those photos and be like, wow. <laughs> okay, I was right there. And I, I had a good friend who became a bit of a poster who, who got beaten and was, you know, the, on T-shirts and stuff. And so it's odd that I have that distance, you know, but I do. Well, it, it creates a certain amount of safety. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's okay to feel like yeah. all sorts of ways. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a sudden, unexpected, tr- and unwanted event. But at, at a time when you're challenging norms mm-hmm. and you're changing the world mm-hmm. in, a, in the ways that you yeah. can. And so having such a, a difficult and, and like aggressive mm-hmm. and dangerous situation is going to create yeah. a big splash. Yeah. And so... In a way, I can understand you being excited by that mm-hmm. because it could lead the way to something bigger happening, mm-hmm. and it did. Yeah. So I wouldn't, yeah. I personally wouldn't judge you for if you were yeah. feeling excitement because yeah. I think, and and excitement doesn't mean that you're not also feeling other things. No, and there's and and excite and the reason I could feel excited also is because I wasn't actually afraid, you know, for myself, even though maybe I should have been, but. Um, but I wasn't, you know, I, 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 I felt, yeah, invincible and privileged. I also remember thinking like, well, we were having an illegal party, which we did all the time at these lofts and the police would come and then we'd leave because we got caught, you know? Yeah. And that was my, that was my headspace also. So I was like, oh, the police are here. Time to go home. So time to go home, you know. <laughs> so for me, also, I was a bit 
I had confusing and contrasting feelings about seeing what I thought was actually like, well, why are we provoking the police? Let's just go home, you know? And those are not feelings that I, you know, expressed because that wasn't, no, that's, that wasn't a, a, a good feeling. <laughs> in this uh, very infectious, uh, exciting political revendication uh, time, you know? Yeah. But those were my honest feelings too at the time. Uh, I'm really mm. happy that you're sharing your honest feelings because mm. I think it can be very easy to, to fall into mm -hmm. the expectation of what people are well, expecting you to, mm -hmm. to say and feel about something, especially something so like historically huge. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's really exciting. So then, then the next day, then mm. um, and then when, or the mm -hmm. the following days. Um, yeah, then the following days there was like protests and sit-ins and kissins and marches and I mean I tried to go to everything because it was very exciting. And it makes me, you know, that's one thing I loved about Montreal was I just, I think it really infused the spirit of the city. It was that housing was affordable. And for me that, you know, if people talk about why is it a hub for the arts? Yeah, there's more funding here. Yeah, but I think mostly it's that housing <laughs> is affordable. Um, so when you can afford to live off of not much, you have a lot of freedom to do other stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm very sad that that is changing, you know. I know it's still the case compared to other places, but it makes me really sad and it's it's so unfair. You also know? the speed at which that's happening, yeah. like the across the street yeah. from where I live, the apartment is twice, yeah. like the vacant apartment, they're asking twice what I pay. Yeah. In my apartment that's across the street. Yeah, it's not fair. And it's illegal and we have, um, we have things in place that other provinces don't have. We have a law that you can't up the rent without certain and, and we've had a régime de logement, which now I think it's called something else. But it's not enforced, it's not retroactive, and the market forces are really strong right now. And it just, it, it makes me sad that we have these mechanisms in place and that, that we're losing something that's so so central I think people I don't think politicians understand that that actually is like one of the main things yeah. one of the main reasons that this that the city is different I've been uh, organizing queer events for 30 years and that I think almost throughout I had a preoccupation with making a space that was like female dominant often but not but that inclusive but that I was still tipping the favor you know <laughs> redressing the, the balance you're redressing the balance or, or kind of just m making sure yeah that, that dykes would be a majority but that it, it was inclusive 
you know, at first I was very, very preoccupied with um, Anglo-Franco divide and trying to bridge that. And then later it moved into, well, that, then I don't know if it was so much a preoccupation, but I noticed that my events were intergenerational and I found that interesting. And it, it could be because they always combined a show and dancing. So there was something for people who wanted to come out early and have a seat and, you know, and then the ones that maybe just wanted to dance as of one in the morning. So, but then there would also be the crossover in the middle or some of the, <laughs> you know, some older people would stay late anyway. Anyway, there was an intergenerational thing that I was very attached to. Um, definitely predominantly white and I, I was very uh, concerned with trying to redress that um, and I would say yeah, yeah moderate success I guess that's just to give a bit of context so there was the boudoir for 13 years an annual cabaret uh, and dance party that was sort of faux fancy like there's like a fancy night out uh, and uh, very much inspired by um, turn of the century like 1900s aesthetics and social movements as well, or political movements. And then Meow Mix that was more of a scruffy queer, uh, anything goes, cabaret, dance party. Um, and then I've also done, I organized a queer tango festival for five years. Um, that was, that's fun. <laughs> um, and and then kind of, s uh, oh, and also at like a feminist festival at Studio 303 called Edgy Women for almost 23 years. And then I had a bit of a quiet few years. And, and then, and right now the, the two queer things that I'm working on are queer performance camp once a year. That's pretty niche though, because it's, it's really for artists, for performing artists. Okay, is, it, is it age specific? No. And it tries to be intergenerational, and it tries to be uh, open to francophones, but I would say it's a little bit dominated by the kind of 30, 20s and 30s and anglophones. Yeah, last year I had guest curators for the first time, and that's something I'm going to do is, is work with different people. And I think Mo is going to be not next year's, but the one after. Yay. Yeah, and, uh, and Queer Performance Camp really is driven by a desire partly to uh, make up for the fact that we don't have an institution, a queer art institution. So to try to have a gathering yeah. space and also a place to address intergenerational divide to some degree. So this past year it was Ask an Elder and one of the first early additions to we had a a workshop called Fear Drag with Jordan Arsenault Ooh. that was about about what different generations fear from each other and performing this. It was really, yeah, it was super whoa. fun. Yeah. That sounds so interesting. Yeah. I'm just like, my brain is, whoa. Yeah. So when's the next one? It's in February. Um, okay. It used to be in the summer. We wanted to do it during Pride and Perversite. And then it just felt like, actually, maybe we need it more in winter <laughs> um, so now it kind of yeah for the past two years it sort of often happens during Valentine's Day as mm. well mm. And, and then the hot flashes which 
are really just a, it's just a dance party. And, uh, um, and it's, it's catering, everybody's welcome, you know, it's always, it's free and everyone is welcome, but it is definitely geared for the, uh, like, Meowmix orphans, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, and, you know, so, yeah, so it's always, it's always going to be near my house, so it's always going to be kind of the Jean Talon, Little Italy neighborhood because the walkability is important to me and my friends. Uh, and it's, uh, I've, I'm trying to do it always in a wheelchair accessible space. And it's, yeah, it's like from 7 to 10 p.m. So mm. it's, it's really quick. You get to go to bed early. <laughs> <laughs> Which and is very nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we'll see. I wanted, I, I did, a, I didn't do one, but I, I had a friend turn 50 during the pandemic before the restrictions were so bad so it was last fall but we could still only be 30 mm. I think that was the maximum for an outdoor gathering so I couldn't really do a public one so I did a sort of private hot flash under a bridge under an underpass the minute we're allowed I would like to do um, a public one um, except I don't have a good sound system so mm. but well yeah gee. it has to be battery operated though oh that's true and last three hours but some people have them, so there's like there you go, a call. Who's got a really <laughs> loud battery operated or, or a generator? Let's bring a generator. And you did I think I remember there being a, a hot flash dance that happened over Zoom. Yeah, I did one on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Not super satisfying for me. Yeah, it's but, a it's uh, a different thing. <laughs> yeah. But I was happy to do it because otherwise I would have been home alone New Year's Eve, you know, and I felt like dancing and I had, I had a good time at dancing. It's funny, though, because I expected it. What I thought, I thought Hot Flesh, people don't really meet strangers. I mean, they do. The same way you meet, when you meet strangers at a bar, it's either because you're wasted and it's about to close, and you're like, hey, other drunk person, you know? Or it's through, right, friend groups, or maybe because if something happens and you happen to be standing next to each other, but it's not that easy to meet new people in a bar necessarily. Yeah. And I thought, Maybe I can have hot flashes that are just just talking, like where we can meet and I can do fun breakout rooms with like topics. And that was Ooh. my idea, right? And then I thought, okay, well, I'll do one where the dance party will be in the main room. But then if you want, and then I did a Twitch so that you could listen to the music independently. No, that's it. I did Twitch so you could listen to the music independently from the Zoom. Mm. That way you could control the level. Or if you don't like it, listen to your own. And then the main room was the dance party. And then I made breakout rooms that were called like clothing optional uh, rooftop jacuzzi. And uh, what did I call it? Gen the gender full bathroom. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, that's so good. And the bar and stuff like that. But uh, it was a great idea. But Thank you for listening to the Gay and Grey Montreal podcast. Gay and Grey Montreal is a social group for folks who are in the 2S LGBTQIA communities and over the age of 50. If that sounds like you and you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on our website, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and right here at the Gay and Grey Montreal podcast.
Hi there, I'm Nick Hughes, the son. And I am James Hughes, the father. Together, we co-host Canada's Young Leaders, a podcast exploring bold ideas for our country's future. Our third and final season focuses specifically on climate change, how we got here, and where we need to go. We'll be speaking with young environmental leaders about the roles of governments, corporations, and individuals in combating this crisis, and also thinking about the role of the COVID-19 pandemic in the climate movement. So, if you're someone who is concerned about climate change and wants to learn more, check out Canada's Young Leaders, a very proud member of the Upford Network. Hi, I'm Anthony Giorgio, host and producer of Queer Teen Podcast. Queer Teen Podcast encourages the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. Listen, learn, and love as you get to know the next queer youth leaders of the world. Queer Teen Podcast celebrates, elevates, and narrates how the LGBTQ community uses our voices to tell our stories. You can find Queer Teen Podcast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And please, please, please subscribe today. And don't forget to listen, learn, and love.